Welcome to a special episode of the Jerry T Podcast. No Dave Shields, no Magic Strategy this week. Instead, joined by longtime friend of mine, Stu Summers, who is like an MTG finance guy, I guess is fair to say, but like the good kind and also an LGS owner. And with the recent announcement of the Play Booster stuff, he and I were, were chatting about it a little bit and, you know... Stu, I guess maybe you could explain your side of things. Like you're you're seeing like people uh just spout off on the internet as they do, and, and you're just like, this this isn't right. Someone's got to set the record straight, you know? Yeah, if there's one thing I know about the magic community is that they are very quick to voice their opinion whether it's right or wrong. And a lot of that gets amplified, whether it's on Reddit or on Twitter. So I just figured it's an opportunity for us to like talk to an audience and kind of say, hey, you know, in this kind of closed setting, this is actually kind of what we're seeing from like a store perspective. And then I have a, I have um, two business degrees and I'm a senior accountant for a company. So I also have a uh, the finance side of it too. So I can kind of understand like, this is what Wizards is kind of aiming for when it comes to stuff and why it makes sense on their end, as well as like, why is it financially making sense on like a store owner's end for this change and kind of like how that's going to impact everything as well. Right, so you you are very qualified to speak on this stuff. Yeah, I'm a, I have that weird trifecta of being uh, someone who's played Magic for a long time and has played on the Pro Tour and also owns a store and also has like a you know several finance degrees and backgrounds, so I can kind of see the whole picture, I guess. Whereas some people usually have like two out of the three in there. Right. So this this announcement is they're introducing this thing called Play Boosters and. It is basically the merging of set boosters and draft boosters. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, they are just draft boosters. To, you know, the boxes, as we know, as draft boosters are are gone. And what is what? What's like the the big difference here? Or like, how how does this change things? How does this affect things? So, from like the store standpoint. So the store has uh, called SKUs, and every product is a new SKU. So like Commander's a SKU, uh, the Jumpstart boxes are a SKU, and individual packs are a SKU. And it's a lot of tracking for a store to have you know track our inventory with all these different items. And recently, they got rid of Jumpstart. Jumpstart was around for a couple sets here and there. I think they're going to keep the Jumpstart yearly products, like Jumpstart whatever, just Jumpstart, and then Jumpstart 2022 was a product. I think they're keeping those, but the individual sets, the Jumpstart products were just dead on arrival. No one really was interested in those. Uh, some were better than others. Like Dominator United, you could get Shieldred in them. Okay. But the problem was no one knew what you could get in them, so those products were just no one was interested in. Yeah. And then there was the booster booster boxes and those SKUs for like collector boosters, set boosters, draft boosters, and then the three packs, one for each. There's also a whole other SKU that had to be tracked as well. And having those SKUs and having that tracking kind of let us see that draft boosters were just not selling particularly well. Even even for a store like mine, who we are primarily like a limited store when it comes to our FNMs, like we we draft. That is our that is our big thing. Like every Thanksgiving, we have a big event called, you know, Thanksgiving where we just draft. Friday nights are draft. And then we, I also support uh, CMU's Magic Club, and I give them draft boxes. And even with that extra outlet, draft product products were just way, way behind set boxes, like ten to one. Yeah, you're using it. It sounds like to hold your events or to facilitate these events, but people are not buying them to either open or do their own sort of events. Right? It's just like a thing that sits on your shelves. Right. It just kind of sits there. I mean, we have packs that go back to Return to Ravnica, so we have everything from Return to Ravnica forward. So people can still get their, you know, they get their draft packs they wanted there. But anything that's like from Zendikar rising and forward, we just see so much more of the set boosters just being sold. And it's just, I don't think I've had to restock draft for, Zen, for Zendikar rising in like a year plus. Okay. Well, how, how does that affect things on your end, on the store end? Um, like, I guess there's, how how big of a deal is it, I guess? How bad I, is it? It's so it's not really a bad thing for a store. It's actually pretty good because it actually slims down uh, the inventory that we have to like maintain. Like I don't have to worry about draft product anymore, per se, or set product. I get to combine those into one, and it kind of gives us a little more like ability to track what we have going on. 
Um, it's a lot easier for us to sell product to a customer. Like someone comes in, hey, this is my first set. What can I get for products? And it's a lot easier to explain to them, oh, there's this one product here. This is a set pack. This kind of has everything going on. Whereas before we had kind of explained, oh, a draft pack is, you know, we'll say four, we sell ours for $4. Oh, this is $4. You get 15 cards, one rare, some commons. You know, you get a bunch of the cards in the set. And then we had to explain the set pack. We're like, oh, well, the set pack has a fluctuating amount of commons, a fluctuating amount of uncommons, maybe up to four rares. Sometimes you'll get this card in there that doesn't belong to anything and you'll get a foil and an art card. And that was just like a lot of information to try to give to customers that weren't really in the know with everything that was to offer and stuff. Right. And generally, they just kind of lean to go to the set pack anywhere. Cause anyway, because you say the word, do you have a chance to get more rares? That's kind of where they wanted to go, regardless of if the one pack was going to be, uh, you know, 33% cheaper. And and that's basically how it played out, right? Is like, technically, there is more value in the set boosters. So, like, there, there's basically no reason to buy the draft boosters unless you're actually drafting with them, right? Right. I mean, as, as we t- as we try to tell them, A, you have the opportunity, you get more cards of the set in a draft box. Like, because there's actually, there's, you know, 10 cards in a pack of set, I think, and then you have 15 in a draft. So, like, if you were just after that set, we're like, hey, draft is going to be your option because it's also going to be $10 cheaper than the set box and they usually would just go for the set box anyway. Okay, so it it simplifies your inventory. Presumably you're gonna get fewer blank stares from customers, right? Like people are just gonna come in, they're gonna be like, I want, I guess, packs of the newest set, and you're just like, okay, bang. Yeah, easy, I mean same same ones. as same as Pokemon. They just come in, they'll say, we have one type of pack for this, and then we'll be able to say the same thing with magic saying, hey, these are the packs we have. Okay. And then does this like simplify things on your back end as far as, I don't know, like you would have to order the draft boosters and, you know, like make some guesstimates each time for how much you think you're going to need, right? And yeah, I, yeah, it's definitely at the start, it's a little bit of a guessing game because we don't know, like, you know, we do have occasional customers that come in, we'll buy draft boxes because they like want to draft with their friends at home on a day that we're not open or something like they want to get together on a Sunday. So they'll buy a draft box from us, uh, which is nice because they have 36 packs there and it's kind of like a draft plus prize support all rolled up into one. And then uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, so yeah, it was, and then it's just like less on our back end of, do we need to order this product or can we just order one product and have everybody covered? So is there, is there any downside from the store by um, merging these? It depends on if how customers are going to like react to the, to what is is a little bit of a price increase, I guess, even uh, to the people that wanted, who wanted draft product, I guess, like I said, it was like 10 to one set to draft. So I don't think, People coming in looking to buy draft packs are particularly going to notice the change because everyone's already getting set packs as it is. Um, shouldn't change too much. I mean, we handle our events probably a little bit differently than a lot of stores where I see our limited events as an opportunity to up our me- our metrics with Wizards through the Wizards Play Network and everything. And so that rate, I'll kind of break even on drafts. Like if we run a draft for I think we run our drafts at like for this month. This month is going to be $12 a draft because we're doing a special, but generally they're between 12 and 15, which is virtually break even on packs because we also pay out 12 packs to our players and then all the extra like promos and stuff too. So um, that's going to be a little bit of a raise of price to our customers for the drafting. I think it's going to only go up probably a dollar a pack. So it'll probably go up four and a half dollars, I think, on the draft. So it'll probably go up between somewhere between 15 and 20 dollars for a draft and th- that's like a decent amount of an increase right but like there's in well, we're, theory... also paying, we're also paying out the set packs and the more expensive packs too so it's not True. just like yeah so like they're not getting oh these cheaper packs on the back end everyone's getting additional six dollar packs i guess so you were paying out draft boosters in price support before yes how how did players feel about that because uh, 
Yeah, it just, they it, were excited because they. So we had this thing where before this was, well before we could let players rebuy into the next draft with the draft packs. Okay. And then eventually, all they started doing was just opening the packs. So we just said, all right, we'll just keep our drafts the same price, and you guys will just want to go ahead and open. And I think they, they liked it because it also gives them the option of holding on to them and doing drafts outside of our you know draft structure as it is. Yeah, I mean, b- back in the day, that's obviously what I would do, but um, the whole like you know, money drafting thing, like casually drafting with your friends. Like it happens so much more infrequently now than it did like 10, 15 years ago. Oh, absolutely. But I think we've kind of fostered a limited format around us. So I think our, you know, our guys will definitely get together and, and draft outside of a store setting at times. So it was fine for there. Now it'll probably be the same where they just, I think they're more likely just to get the, the packs and open them now. And, the way we did it was like we've been trying to get a lot of new players in. They're a little more casual players coming from arena. And I think these packs will actually be pretty, pretty successful in getting them to want the draft because they have a chance to open like multiple rares in their pack. The price packs is, are all the set packs, which people like. So I think it's I think it's going to be end up being a net positive for stores and, and probably for players, too. I mean, I think the vast majority of them will see that, you know, they are paying a little bit more in a draft, but they are getting more for their packs on the back end too. Okay, so that's that's kind of like the uh, factual basis of things. How how has this been like received by stores though? E- even though it seems like it's over, overall pretty positive for them, right? Uh like, I think I think most stores looking at the different Facebook groups that were in um like the WPN group, there were a lot of people that were had some some positive you know, a lot of positive feelings like you know, condensing of SKUs is always good. Uh, making there less confusion to the customers is always very good. Uh, you had those some who, much like players, would just made some sarcastic comment and didn't really like. They're like, "Oh, this is a joke," blah blah blah. Without actually thinking, like, you know, this makes your life easier and it'll probably be a lot more successful for you as well. And one thing that you shared with me that that kind of blew my mind was that some amount of retailers actually were able to give feedback on this. Before it happened, yeah. So I, I think they're, they they uh, will reach out to different stores at different points. They actually have a committee of stores they'll talk to as well, and they'll kind of get their feedback on different topics that are going on. So like for a while, like the commander decks uh, that came out every every set were like really big and bulky, and then this new set had like a way slimmed down um, looking commander deck. They were smaller, the more compact, you know, take up less shelf space, and like that was based on retailer feedback like they are very receptive to like listening and they can they will implement things where they can so this is kind of getting the corporate corporate stuff was like wizards can only do so much from their end because they do have to answer to what hasbro kind of forecasts out and what they kind of want i think when it comes to like the product team and like what packages look like and what designs look like they will like listen to stores like oh when set boxes first came out the zendikar rising ones those things were huge those were just like massive and different sizes from the draft boxes. And then a couple of sets later, they were able to reduce them to actually a size that was smaller than draft boxes. And like that was from retailer feedback saying these things are too big. Yeah. So th- this is the type of stuff that I think is awesome because I, I mean, you listen to the podcast, you know that we, we've certainly been fairly critical of, of wizards over the years for various different things. Right. But like this is an instance of them actually soliciting feedback, listening and doing good things as a result of it. But it's not something that is necessarily public facing. Right. And, and like, this is the part to me is like, it, they are so right there for us to talk to. Like there are friends like Ben White's, we can get a hold of, of Ben if we really wanted to, you know, to pass something along to them. Mike Turian, I've known forever because he was a CMU guy. And right. like we can get a hold of these guys. And like even like the normal people, everyday people using Twitter and everyday player can just tweet at Aaron or or Rosewater and you know, send some feedback. And try to do that for like Pokemon or or like Bandai and One Piece. Like there is no way to talk to any of those people about anything that's really going on. So we're kind of spoiled in the sense that like our our game designers and everyone there is like right there in front of us for us to like you know interact with. Yeah, they're they're a little bit more public. I, I've said this before though, where it's like I think that they could be doing more in that regard too. Um, I, I agree, but I think there's probably things on the corporate side that you know a lot they can or cannot do based on whatever the lawyers. Oh yeah, 
are saying. And like, they, I mean, it gets them in trouble. I mean, last thing I said, you know, we're friends with all these people. We don't want to get them in trouble. So I can kind of see why they don't say everything out at once. And the probably most like efficient and good department in Wizards or Hasbro is is like the lawyer department. So like <laughs> they, yes, they, they do, will they do not mess around. No. So like I I mean speaking of mess around, like the whole Pinkerton thing is like my last company, I was actually brought in because our treasury manager embezzled like twelve million dollars. And I definitely had to talk to corporate police for like part of the investigation because when I was brought on, I was brought in to make sure this doesn't happen again. So I had access to everything. It was kind of like trail tra- you know, I was tracking everything, trailing it back to the former treasury manager and like I definitely talked to them. I mean, it wouldn't have made sense for me to talk to normal police or something. So like, right. I, I, I understood like their use of like the Pinkertons who are not the Pinkertons from Red Dead Redemption or anything. But like, I can see how that just like blew up on, on them online and everything too, even though it was like technically the right thing to do because they're not going to send normal police or even like a wizard's lawyer can't go to that person's house and talk to that person. Uh, I mean, that that is technically true, and I don't know exactly, like, what methods they employ. Right, yeah. Trying to, trying to like, get that stuff back or whatever, you know, but, I, but, no, I, but I'm I certainly sympathetic lo- yeah. to, the, to the fact that, like, local police are probably not going to do anything. No, and, like, again, that's, that's the side of, like, the corporate side and the lawyer sides. Like, they are they are on top of what they're doing because they will send, send stuff out very quickly of, like, cease and desist to employees and whoever. Oh, yeah, they don't mess around. Uh, so overall, overall, this is good for you. You like this, you like these changes? Yeah, I I think as a store owner, I think that this is going to make life a lot simpler for my employees as well as for myself. Um, as a player and someone who drafts, um, I'm not too concerned about extra rares and packs. I mean, March Machines Limited was already kind of that. And I think that limited format was, was pretty reasonable. I think that based on math that I'm seeing, that it's incredibly unlikely that people are going to open like four rare packs or three rare packs compared to like one or two. So I don't think I'm overly concerned about the extra rares in the packs. Yeah, I, I so I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, You are obviously going to run into like the occasional seal deck that has a lot more rares or whatever, but I mean, a lot of these limited formats do have like a bonus sheet with extra rares. And so like we, we've been getting kind of like a taste of that over the right. last few years already. You know, I saw someone do the math and it was like one in like somewhere between 10 and 20,000 packs are going to have like that or sealed pools or something are going to have like the four rares or something in it. Like it was a very low percent like chance of all that happening all at once. And it was like, I think that's a pretty reasonable rate there. I mean, yes and no, because think of like the expeditions in in the various sets and it's like, oh yeah, the odds of it happening are so low, but then it's like you get your ass kicked by like a soul ring or whatever and it feels bad. Like, yeah, it's it's sub one percent or whatever, but if it does happen, that that sucks a lot, right? Like it's it's like, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah. it's very unlikely to happen, but like the argument I guess is should this be possible to happen at all? Um that's a hard question. I I, I kind of lean towards that the fact that it's so mathematically small of a chance of happening because like you have to open the pack, it has to be opened in a sealed event, and then the rares have to be like all of them have to be on color for the deck, and then it has to be against someone who is at the point where they'll like stop playing the game or quit the game because that incident happened. I think it's it's so low that like it's hard for me to like really kind of like you know think about that kind of number. I guess. Yeah, I'm not worried about someone quitting. It's just that they're going to have complaint equity locked in, which for Magic players in general, I think that they're pretty good at finding things to complain about, you know? Yeah, I mean, so, to me, that's just another thing on the list, I guess. But yeah, I know that, but yeah, you make a very good point. But, you know, if, you're, if your sealed deck is, is trending more in the way of like 8 to 10 rares, it's not like, oh, in order for it to feel bad, they have to all be on color. It's like, well, now you have more rares and it's more likely that, you know, three of them are red or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, but then you have to worry about your opponent too, who's also could have opened, you know, two or three rares in a pack and also stayed on color too. So I think... Right, I that's, think that's the I thing think, is like, yeah. you are just as likely to be able to do that stuff for your opponents. Yeah. I think it'll all kind of even out over the long run, but like the individual incidents of that happening, I can see definitely creating a feel bad. Yeah. But whatever, like I honestly, limited 
has a lot of issues, especially for a, a high level like coverage standpoints. And even now, there's not a whole lot of limited happening. And, th- and there are reasons for that, right? Like there's not a lot of like high level limited tournament circuits or anything like that. We don't have limited Grand Prix anymore. There's not a whole lot of incentive to do it outside of the random arena qualifiers or hitting mythic or whatever. Right. Yeah. I think, I think a big problem with that and it'll even lean into like the problems with like getting standard up and going is they just pushed commander so hard and it commander probably, I think they should have kept commander as like this grassroots format and everything. Cause then like they've kind of cannibalized their player base a bit where it's, where instead of before it was, oh, your on-ramp to playing Magic was standard or limited. Now the on-ramp is these like commander decks every set and it's making it harder to get more people interested. I think people are more interested in drafting at first than they would be saying getting to, to the standard, but it's still like very hard to get players, new players into that because most of them just want to like, oh, my friend plays commander who's been playing for a bit. Now I just want to play commander. Yeah, it's it's weird because it, it really depends on what the person's background is because I think when Arena first launched, you had a lot of converts from things like Hearthstone, right? Like people coming over and trying like the new flashy client and stuff. And Hearthstone does have a limited format, but they basically didn't do anything with it. It was just like, it, it, it's just there, you know? Um, yeah, I didn't do much of Hearthstone other than watching... I was roommates with uh, Steve Rubin at one point and I was watching him like be number one in North America at some point. And, like that was about the end of it for me was watching him just like bash everybody. Yeah. So people coming over from other card games where these other card games basically don't have limited formats. I think it's pretty normal for them to be like, all right, what are the constructed formats? Like what, what is the deck that I should buy into, et cetera. But right. And, and then we've, we've had players come in for arena. I think arena can be used as a great tool to get players into stores. Like that is, yeah, that is, that is a big point that like store owners hate to hate to say is like all of them are just like oh well we hate arena because it's taking our players out of our stores and putting them online and i'm like i kind of see the opposite happening where we have players who have played on arena and then want to play in person and come to the local game stores like hey i was playing arena i come draft here at the store and everything and like we've been getting getting a fair amount of that um last month there was like a thousand xp bonus thing for a couple different events throughout the month where you came and played in store you'd get XP on the client and we got a bunch of new players from that. And I think that was great. That's awesome. They should definitely do more initiative type of things like that. I, I mean, one of the awesome things, one of the things people really want to do is put arena packs into booster packs. Yeah. Uh, which, which Pokemon has. And like, I don't know if that'll end up doing the thing that's a lot, a lot of store owners like ask for that. And I feel like, I don't know if that will do what they want it to do, to be honest. No, I also think it's hard to do on a one-for-one basis when like an arena booster is a a couple bucks or whatever. And, you know, I I don't think that I'm not super familiar with like the Pokemon online model or whatever, but if they are just giving you a code for a pack in a real life booster pack, I imagine that their online client can't be making that much money. It is, is not. I don't think, I mean, Pokemon just, makes money being a lifestyle brand right and anything they do other outside of that is just like continuing that brand essentially yeah you just feed the the ecosystem overall which is kind of like the arena to store relationship too which i mean i mean here's here here's like this thing it was like arena's packs how much is arena pack i haven't been on arena in a couple years because i got kind of over it for my own reasons but like is a pack like three or four dollars on there uh, it's not that much. I I think if you buy one straight up, it might be like two bucks. I'm logging in and checking now. But yeah. normally, so like, when like two bucks to get a pack that you can't do anything with, right? You can't dust the card, you can't sell the cards, you can't do anything. Is that is it better to pay six dollars for a pack in a store to draft with that you get to resell and do things with, like a tangible item, or is it like better just for that cheaper two dollar hit pack? All right, so I can buy 20,000 gems for $100. And then uh, for 18,000 gems, I can get 90 packs. So if if you buy like the maximum amount, it's almost a dollar pack. Yeah, so it's like, is that dollar pack of just you just getting a digital item that you can never really own or do anything with or resell to get out? Because like, that's the best part of magic is like you could sell back out and 
at times, you know, get close to what you put into it. Right. Yeah, and that, that that's why it has to be cheaper on Arena, but like Arena still makes a shit ton of money. Oh right? yeah. People so, love cosmetics. Oh man. The the cosmetic thing is is wild to me where they they keep trying to sell me new avatars and it's like I already have one that I want, you know? I mean, that's how League of Legends makes all their money. It's just just you want this cosmetic for your for your character. Yeah, and that makes sense if, like, this is the character that you play in, like, every game that you play or whatever, right? But, like, magic, like, if you could sell cosmetics of, like, commanders, for example, I think that that would be awesome. And I think is, people would really like that. Yeah, and it's it's strange to me that, you know, for as popular as, like, Arena is and now Commander is, that there, is, there isn't, like, an online client where you can viably play Commander. Yeah, you, you used to be able to do it on Magic Online, but I don't know how... I mean, you technically can still, but that's like, oh, got to like maintain this, you know, ridiculous collection and stuff like that. And like some of the cards aren't on there just straight up and there are no cosmetics there or anything. It's, you know, you're playing a, a spreadsheet game. I mean, you do have your Momir Vig avatar. You can always set as your for your username. True. Yeah. But, you know, those those aren't for sale and you only use one of them and I have, you know, 200 of them or whatever. So. That's a lot. <laughs> anyway, um, what I was getting at with the the draft stuff before was that, like, I think draft as a, a format could stand to be a little bit more exciting. And I think that having sealed pools that feel powerful and draft decks that feel a little bit more powerful on average, I think is probably a good thing, even if it does add, like, a little bit more variance to the format. So it definitely gives players more chance to have a story to tell, right? Where you're playing yeah. a game and then your opponent plays their bomb rare and then but your deck has an extra bomb rare or two in it because there's extra rares in the packs and it gives you an extra redraw and the times that you like get to like redraw on them, like that's a fun story to tell. Like, oh they played their their arbiter legendary creature, but then I redrew my fireball to take care of it. Or my bane, fa- bane fire, and then if it even goes one more step where he gets redrawn again, then like at that point you're just like, ah, oh, he got me. And like those are just like good stories and like experiences to be able to tell with your friends and kind of laugh about, and then makes you want to go experience it again. Right. It's it's like more swingy battle cruisery magic versus like oh my opponent curved it out and I like missed land four or whatever, so I just died. Oh yeah, any opportunity where you can just not have to worry about like just missing a land drop and then just immediately dying, where you still have like those outs in your deck to catch back up, I think is is better for Magic. Yeah, agreed. So o- overall, I like this stuff. So reason you're here, I guess, is just like addressing misconceptions. Uh, one of the things that you sent me was <laughs> this exchange on on Twitter where, uh, you know, one one person is basically saying stop reprinting cards at such a furious pace. Uh, reprints are devaluing stores inventory. And then a player responds that they want uh, accessibility for everyone. It's just like reprint everything so that all the cards are cheap. And I feel like th- those are just like the two vast extremes. It, it is. Those are extremes. Um I probably won't win many fans when I say this, but I think, you know, magic is a luxury good. And I think that it's not, I don't want to say like, it's like kind of like golf where like not everyone's going to be able to get into it at the level they want to get into it. Uh, I think that the fact that like, you know, there are cheaper alternatives in magic we played, like, you know, you can play popper. I think that, you know, having different levels there is good. I don't think, I mean, the fact that not everyone can get the very specific, you know, a dual end or something, I don't think makes or breaks the game in any kind of, any kind of way. Especially now with the number of different kind of like lands they make and how many different ones they do. It's like how much is an underground sea really set back your deck if you don't have one for commander. But at the same time, I think there has to be some amount of reprinting going on, if anything, just to like give new players exposure to those cards so they can get new ideas and get, you know, kind of send them down that path to be creative and kind of see things. But I think if you just reprint everything into the ground, you're going to lose a lot of game stores who have lost a lot of money in their inventory. And then you're going to make the sealed product not be worth anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you can 
try to reprint things so that things are more accessible without making everything cost zero. You know? Like, maybe doubling season shouldn't be $60, but it should be 20 And obviously, it's kind of hard to control that very specifically, but I, I feel like at, at this point, they kind of know where it's like, if we reprint this thing like every year or every two years or whatever, this kind of keeps this thing at like the price that we want it at. I mean, look at Tarmogoyf. They can just, ne- that card will never, ever drive a sale of a box again because they've reprinted it so many times. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be different if the card was also seeing play. Yeah, I mean, but, that's, that's but it's kind of something along the lines where you can only reprint a card so many times before it's not worth anything, and then you can never use it as a reprint again to get people excited about your product. Like, Doubling Season has been printed one, two, three, four, five, six times, seven times. I mean, it's been reprinted seven times and it's still like $40. So it, it has been reprinted, but it has not been in like a main set in all of those reprints, right? Right. I think a card similar to that is going to be Cavern of Souls coming in Exelon. I mean, that, that one will be in a standard legal set again. Yeah, true. But, I mean, that one's being reprinted. It was like one is a list reprint too. One, two, three, four, five. I don't know, probably six or seven times, and it's getting a an Ixalan reprint as well. So we'll see what happens to the price of that thing. But they definitely, I think, reprint things too much, too often. Um, if I was going to make a change in any kind of way, I would just get rid of like the reprint master set every year and just turn that into like a universes beyond set. Like, Universes Beyond is one of the best things for, like, magic in the growth of the game I think they've ever done. Okay, well, I, I wasn't planning on talking about that, but now I'm so, actually I'm actually kind of curious. How, what has what your experience been like that uh, as, a, as a store owner and having these sorts of things come out and, like, you dealing with customers who probably love these various things? I, Lord of the Rings was our best-selling set ever. Like, people would just came in, they just they knew Lord of the Rings, they didn't know magic, and definitely it's your opportunity to convert them into players for your store, convert them into new players. Um Warhammer 40K. I don't know know very much about Warhammer 40K. It's not really my realm, but like we sold all of that so incredibly fast because it's just a huge following and then converted some of those players into it. Um Doctor Who. I didn't think Doctor Who was gonna be that great. I underordered it. I made a mistake. We were out of that <laughs> we were out of that stuff by Friday night. I mean and it was on sale for that Friday. It was like they're going to, they're doing a sneak peek of Fallout coming up. I've learned my lesson. We're, we'll order plenty of that one. But like I think that's going to go absolutely crazy. I, the Final Fantasy set. I mean, I feel like you're kind of excited for that one. I I want to be because that is definitely you know there are so many people out there who grew up with like Lord of the Rings and like love it. And Final Fantasy is probably the the thing for me that is supposed to grab me or whatever. But I feel like. I am scared that I am just going to nitpick it to death. I I mean, I can see that too. If we don't get Chocobos as companions, I might be very un- unhappy. <laughs> but uh, like like those those things, like they attract new people who, I mean, magic is not that big in, in like the reality of IPs and everything. Like every there's plenty of people who have just never heard of Magic the Gathering before until their favorite IP, whether it be Lord of the Rings or Doctor Who. Or Post Malone. Uh, beca- yeah, or post, or even Post Malone's <laughs> probably brought in players too. Like people just, they should do, they should lean more into the celebrities that actually are really into the games. Uh, I had a customer of ours who pre-orders every set, and I was giving him the product, and he goes, "Yeah, these extra decks are actually for my my wife's mom, who knows nothing about magic, but loves Doctor Who, and she wanted to play some games with us using the Doctor Who decks." Yep. And like right there, that example itself is happening all over the place, and I think. That is the perfect reason why I think Universes Beyond is one of the best things they've done because it just gets new people into the game. Yeah, it it seems kind of weird to me where it's like, you know, magic is its own separate IP and then you're like mixing and matching and it, it feels kind of weird or whatever. But from a player acquisition standpoint, I can't think of a single better thing that they could do. Right. Like and for me, it's like the gameplay. As long as the gameplay is good, the cards, you know, long, I mean, the cards are all going to look, always going to look nice. So art's always going to be great, usually great. And I think as long as the gameplay is great, the cards being, you know, whether I'm summoning Gandalf to fight off Yawgmoth, that's not going to really 
uh, really going to you know put me off or anything of the game. Nah, it it's all made up anyway. It doesn't matter. Like I I've certainly cast my fair share of the one rings and whatnot, and I honestly just like haven't even thought about it that much. Yeah, it's just it's just to me it's just another card in in the multiverse. I mean, who's who's not to say Middle Earth is somewhere in the multiverse? Yeah. Uh, what what other misconceptions have you seen floating around? Like the the hot takes in response to this announcement. Um, what other things I see? Uh, the so the recent part about uh, I don't know if you want to start answering questions from the Discord or just kind of want to see what things I had first. I, yeah, I just I want to get your stuff first, and then we'll move yeah. into questions. Um, a lot of those people were upset. Like, oh, they've you know eliminated eliminated this cheaper option for people to get cards. And now there's only the one option of the, you know, the more expensive option. And like that option was always there. And like all of our sale numbers have just always pointed to people going towards the set pack once they hear what's inside of it. Like they'll hear the draft pack, hear that it's, you know, 33% cheaper than the set pack and still just go to the set pack. Like I, I think that the vast, vast majority of people who interact with this game are going to be off put by the, by what was then the $2 difference for ours. So I again, what we're selling ours for and four and six uh, off is. And like we had a uh, distributor price increase in the past year for the first time in a long time. Like our magic has been pretty resilient to inflation as when it comes to like the um, cost to stores and, and inflation there. Cause the longest time boxes were 80 bucks for like a long time, even as inflation kept going up right for like five, six, seven years, they kept the prices at the same level. And like, I think the fact that we're just now getting to the point where the game is getting slightly more expensive as inflation goes, I think that's a pretty good statement to like Wizards trying to, to keep it somewhat affordable because they had plenty of justification in the past 10 plus years to raise it not once, but probably twice on stores who would then have to raise the price on the customers. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever it did happen, it always felt kind of bad because they generally like, drag their feet on raising the price I guess and then it was like a substantial increase you know or go from like three to four dollars or like yeah and like I said they wanted they, they were probably trying to fight off against it as much as possible too before someone was like hey we have to we have to bump it now because it's been however many years and our costs have all gone up because again it's not just on Hasbro trying to raise up their I mean obviously they're trying to make money capitalism and you know trying to do everything they're doing but also like they have to realize like the cost to them from their suppliers for all these products whether it be the printers they're using like their costs have gone up so they have to raise the cost and then so it's, it's like all stacked on top of each other essentially right it, it just would feel less bad if it was like oh every two years it gets raised 10 cents or whatever versus like all right we don't do anything for 10 years and now we raise all the packs a dollar or something i i i, I can honestly see arguments for both ways on that one too i mean i think being able to say we've kept the prices the same for x amount of years before we had to raise it a dollar I don't know if that, if that goes the same as saying, hey, we'll raise it a quarter every two, two and a half years. Well, it it matters less what they say. It matters more like how it feels and how painful it is for the player, right? Sure. I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It definitely makes more sense. It makes sense. So that's all. Um, uh, just so you have some, you know, just have some idea of like what stores pay for packs when you kind of see everything. It's uh, So our draft packs were essentially... $2.50 a piece at cost. Uh, we were selling them for four. Our set packs are about $3.33 a piece. And we're selling them for six. And then our collector packs are 15 at cost. And then we're selling them for, we sell ours for 20. Okay. Just to get an idea of like where the base levels are of like cost for sales and everything. Yeah, that's good to know because I, a, a couple weeks ago when this came up randomly. I, I quoted, like, I, I remember when the distributor cost for a box, like cost for a store basically was like 60 or something. And it's like, obviously it is not that anymore. Right. So what is, what is that now? Uh, so it's, should be around 90 or so for a draft, a uh, hundred or so for a set, and then 180 for a collector yeah. for normal, set, normal standard sets. Yeah. So that price has gone up significantly since I was last paying attention to that stuff or like yeah it's draft time. pack I remember draft when I was in college was like I think those boxes were like in the mid 60s and then there was a bump to like the mid 70s 
And then when I bought into the store in 2019, they were like low 80s. And then we just had this recent bump up. Now, we even had a recent bump up in Pokemon too, where they uh, raised everything, 50, uh, each pack 50 cents as well. So okay. Raised yeah. prices from everyone and everywhere. So what's what's retail on their packs now? Um, Their retail is... I need to get my calculator out so I can do that math real quick. Is it... I think it's supposed to be like four fifty a pack or so. Okay. One sixty somewhere in there, yeah. Most most stores will round it up to five just for loose packs, and then sell individual boxes at at a, at a discounted rate, just because four fifty is such a weird number. Yeah. All right, you want to get into questions? Yeah, I've got some questions. So solicited the fine folks in in my Discord. That includes because... me. But I didn't ask any. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about asking a question in there, see what people would catch on. It's like, oh man, isn't isn't Stu pissed? Like, why why is Jerry having someone else on who is not Stu? This is so weird. Why why is Stu already saying how smart and good looking this store owner is? He doesn't even know who it is yet. Yeah, something's up. All right, uh, first question is not actually a question. I guess uh, my local store said that they felt kind of bullied into ordering mass set boosters. When they were first introduced, I think the distributor would only sell them a draft box for each set booster box. This feels like Watsy solving an issue that they created themselves. I guess that isn't a question exactly, but I'm curious to know how true that was or if they experienced the same thing. And this this is exactly the same kind of stuff where it's like you hear like the random rumors or whatever, but like there are so few people who actually know what is going on behind the scenes that it just ends up being like this ridiculous game of telephone, you know? Oh, yeah. So uh, that was Zendikar Rising. That was, I believe, fall of 2021. Or was that 2020? I think... I, I have no idea. Oh, my God. No, I want to find out when Zend- I th- It was definitely Zendikar Rising. And I want to say it was definitely... I'm going to say fall of 20... Sorry. 20, right? Are you saying this only happened once? So, so... Yes. So the only time that there was an incident where we couldn't get as much draft as we wanted was, yeah, so Seneca Rising came out September of 2020, and which was still pandemic, COVID time, supply chain issues, and they just couldn't get enough out to us in time for the release. So the majority of our release was set boxes, um, which, however, in the coming weeks, we were able to get drafts fairly easily to use for everybody. But for the first couple of weeks, we did have to use set but then we were able to get draft pretty regularly. Uh, and as it is today, ever since then, I can get any fluctuation of number that I want of set versus draft. Like at the very beginning, I was very hesitant on set. So I definitely still ordered more draft than set. And then in the years as the numbers panned out, I've definitely been ordering more set than draft. But like at any point, I could order 100 drafts and 10 set and I'll, I can get that if I want. Okay. And there was, there was like never any bullying or anything like that where it was like oh if you want these we'll only give oh, yeah. them I mean, to you if you buy you know oh, yeah watsy never does this either it's, it's it's from the distributors like it would never be from watsy telling a store directly you have to do this like watsy doesn't communicate that stuff to us yeah because once and, they ship it to the distributor they don't care anymore yeah like right? they have they have done their thing they have made their money it's going to be on the distros to deal with the boxes in the, in the stores and I have three different distros and not a single one of them was like, you have to take a, a, you can only take a draft for every set that you take. That was never a thing that happened. They're, they're never very concerned about like, oh, we have to, I don't know, manipulate the numbers so that we move everything or whatever. They're, I got to imagine that they're pretty happy on any sale that they make, right? Yeah. Their, their whole goal is just to continuously move product, move sealed product, whatever their margin is, because they're moving in volume and they're right. just like, We'll just we'll just move through. Yeah. All right. Number two, has uh, the pricing change impacted your margins? Like, yes, it's five dollars versus four dollars, but are the LGSs actually getting more money per pack, or is Watsi pocketing that extra price? So, uh, Yeoman Five, shout out to CMU Original Yeoman Five. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Um, so those extra, so the packs, all right? The packs are going to stay the same cost. Like they will be the same price to me, three dollars and thirty-three cents as they've been. They'll be my same sell point at six dollars for same as a set booster. Same as that. They're saying the exact same as a set. Uh, the only thing that cost is going up is that there are six more packs in the box than a set box. 
So like, yeah, I guess the individual boxes do mean more revenue for wizards, but then it also means more revenue for distributors and more revenue for the stores. But then it also means that um, players are getting uh, 20% more packs in their box. Because what I've found is that most people who come to my store who you know pre-order a box or buy a box end up buying additional packs anyway. So instead of having it broken out into like separate transactions, they're actually getting all the packs in one in one transaction in one item. Okay. And there's no there's no extra money per pack essentially. There's no extra Watsy pocketing any kind of extra money. It's just going to be the same price across the board. Yeah, the only difference is you don't have to worry about buying set boosters or draft boosters. Yeah, it's just going to be one one pack, same price, cost isn't going up. I assume cost is not going up anytime soon because again the, the race has happened in the past year. Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I jinxed it, you know, on me. Good job, Stu. All right. Uh, a lot of people like to say that Watsi is catering to whales with fat wallets over the regular customer. Anecdotally, do you see this occur with your customers at your LGS? I have very few whales at my store that will drop hundreds of thousands of dollars every release. I have like a couple players who will buy like a case here or there, or like they'll buy like you know, a couple boxes and a collector on a release and that's it. Um, most people just come in and like buy a box and I'll see them occasionally. They'll come in and they'll buy a selection of packs or anything. I think, I think whales are actually like the vast, vast minority of people who play or buy Magic the Gathering. I mean, they're great for stores. I, I mean, I have a regular who comes in and drops 5k on Pokemon every so awesome. That's, that's awesome. But like, he is one of like, a thousand Pokemon customers I have. So it's not, it doesn't behoove wizards to really cater to whales in any kind of meaningful way. Well, I think the distribution of whale to like average small spender, like person living modestly within their means or whatever. And I guess treating magic responsibly like a hobby and not spending all of their money on it or whatever. I, I think that's pretty normal uh, compared to like the mobile games market, for example, where it's like, yes, the, the whales are like one in a thousand or whatever, but for mobile games specifically, like the the games and the systems are basically just designed for those people because those are the ones that keep the game afloat. But like Magic... I don't think has has ever been like that, you know. Because no, and like and those people don't really, those people are for the stores. Like those are the people who are ones who are like who come in the store and buy all that product. Like Wizards doesn't really see a whole lot of money from those whales as much as like the stores will see the impact of it. Right. And, and like I mean, if, if Wizards is going to see any of that, it's from like secret layers. But even that doesn't really impact me. Uh, very much. This, I mean, that's one of the things where people are always like, well, secret layers are hurting stores. And it's like, no, not really. It's a completely different customer base on products that we probably don't even have in store to begin with. So it's not really, it's competing for dollars, sure, but like not as super high, like meaningful level because the individual secret layers themselves are like not overly ex- that expensive. And it's like a pretty different product too. It's not like someone is going to buy a secret layer and that means that they won't buy a box of this set from their LGS, right? Right. And like, they remind me of uh, From the Vaults, which for stores were an absolute disaster to deal with because you were <laughs> given like a limited amount of them. You didn't know what to sell them for. You didn't know how, who to sell them to to begin with. And like, I just, I would not want to deal with that in store again. And that's stores, store owners keep saying they want secret layers in store. And I'm just like, I do not want to live through from the vault uh era again because that was that was a headache no i for not for not much money as as a player i got uh from the vaults as random like tournament prizes here and there because stores were just like i just need to get rid of this shit yeah oh yeah like i'll just throw in the prize pools that is that cool cool all right um i mean there were some cool ones like the artifacts one ended up being awesome because mox diamond was in it but like the the annihilation ones not good right but i you know the mox diamond one was also like that card went from 50 to 600 dollars or whatever over yeah. the course of 10 years so yeah, you know yeah, sometimes I just, I, I just think that'd be just a bigger headache than it would probably need to be yeah it's just more stuff that is 
know, like some of them are are just going to be like slam dunks and are going to sell out. But I think the vast majority of them would just rot on your shelves in a lot oh, of yeah. and, and And the best part of Secret Layers is it's print to demand. Like there, there won't be over ordering and rotting on the shelves. It's just they print to what they need and that's it. Uh, was having two different kinds of boosters actually bad for your business? Um, I think bad is kind of a strong word. It was definitely an inconvenience and an annoyance because of having to like start at the beginning of figuring out what was in the two in the two packs, and then training employees to be able to tell the difference between the two packs, and then pricing the two packs, and then you know tracking inventory on the two packs. Do I need a draft box? Do I need a set box? It was just double the amount of work and double the amount of tracking and for such little return on the, on the draft packs. I remember uh, going into a couple stores with uh, Josh Joe and he was trying to get like a case of something because he was like starting to try and build a collection. And it was just like trying to figure out, like what he should be buying and like how he was going to interact with magic. Like, were we going to draft with these things? But like, even if we did do something like that, it would still be silly to like not get set boosters. It was just, it was so much of a headache, man. Yeah. I'm for, for us. So we open product every, every set for the store to have standard singles. I think we're the only store in the area that really does that. Um, we just, I mean, we just try to have everything in stock. We're going to try a really big push on standard. Uh, so like our plan is to run weekly events and then before the release of the next set, run some sort of like free roll event based and you get entrance based on attendance. So okay. it might be like, it might be like a quarterly, like 500 or, or quarterly 1k. And, but for that, we need the singles, you know, for people to buy, to make it worth all time. And so we crack and like set boxes were never the product that I wanted to crack. Why is that? I just, it was, I think the. The, there was something about the spread or the or how many like actual cards up from the set that I was getting was not as much as say getting from a draft uh draft product. I remember opening set for like Zenicar Rising and being like, this is like not as many rares, or this is as many just as many rares as a draft, but a higher cost. Yeah. And I was just like, this makes way more sense to uh to crack draft product. And then I learned to crack pre-release kits, and that was the, that was the big winner of what to crack for <laughs> for singles. Oh my god! See, you shouldn't have to jump through hoops to figure out like what is the optimal way to go about things. I think that was mostly you know? me just not thinking about it for a minute. But like when I got to, when I realized I could sell the dice and the promo and the code card out of the pre-release kits, I'm just like I'm just so dumb, and I should have realized this sooner. Ah, uh, fair. Uh, how do you think this price increase is going to affect draft turnout and what does draft engagement look like at the LGS level nowadays? Um, we, we kind of talked about your store and how I think your store is maybe a little bit more unique in this area because you're actively trying to foster a draft environment and you have things like, you know, CMU and I think drafting just like historically in Pennsylvania being like a sacred tradition or whatever. Yeah. I mean, for us... We, we don't see the drafts as like a store saving endeavor. We just kind of see it as a like, hey, we need to get our metrics for, because we're Wizards Premium now. We need to get our metrics up and keep our metrics at a level that's to be in the program and everything. So I don't mind, you know, breaking even on a box to get a draft. And you get people going. in the store too, right? They're in the store. I mean, there's a, there's a theory that players spend money when they get in the store for the event. And it's like very little. Is, is how it is in reality. They might buy some drinks or whatever, but like usually they come prepared with sleeves. Usually they come, pre- come prepared with deck boxes and stuff. It's like, it's not as much of a thing for a store as people make it out to be, I guess, these days. But um, yeah, so we just kind of use that as a um, as a thing to keep our metrics up. Whereas like some stores definitely yeah, will want to be making however much money on their, on their drafts. But also the event link makes it so easy to run an event. Okay, because like so, before, before it was a reporter, you'd have somebody go in and type all the results and then do the pairings and everything. And now it's just like players put their own results in. You just hit the pair button and they, yeah. off they go. Uh, so I guess like these questions again, but like 
do you have any idea what it is like for like an aggregate store just like on average like how is um, how is draft doing i assume not very good or at least they've decided to not run anymore i see a lot of stores who decide just to run um commander as their fnm format of choice and i think they a lot of them just not even i think limited was in the minority to begin with when it came to friday night magic events a lot of places probably opted to do standard or modern and since commander has been so popular i think a lot of stores have just even moved off of those and just now a lot of them are going to be um doing commander so like the amount of stores that do do limited for fnm format is probably a lot smaller than it used to be and even then it probably wasn't very high Hmm. which is which is unfortunate i I love i mean from western pa i love drafting Drafting's a big, you know, reason I got better at magic and wish more people did it. Yeah, me too. It is, uh, you know, like people talk about the gathering now or whatever, and it's just like drafting was a big part of that. I, I've tried it every SCG con to get like a team draft going. and It's it's so hard. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't help that I'm like super old now and it's like 8 p.m. and I'm dead tired. <laughs> like I am probably older than you. I don't think so, but I'll be 39 next month. I'm, I'm already there, dude. All right, never mind. Jeez, our our knees are already hurting from this conversation. Yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. Final question: If it were up to, uh, I guess your LGS store owner, just referring to you, what would a draft pack cost him, and what would he sell it for? And how how I am gonna add on to this question is how how would you change the system overall? Like, what would you like to see happen? As for what it needs to, needs to be, uh, that is, I saw this question in there and I was dreading you asking me this one because, like, it is such a hard question to answer because that would take into effect, like, all of our expenses, figure out all of our, like, sales numbers and then figure out what we could sustain on a draft pack. I, I think... That's something in the four to six range to sell it at is probably fairly reasonable. I, I don't think that like if they continue to like if they get to the back to the point where like cars are worth, you know, reasonable money and like the EV to open a box is roughly the cost of a box or the price of a box on the sell, then I think that like I think the current price range of like four to six is probably pretty reasonable. And then as for like what do you mean by what do you mean by like change the system, like change how things are done? Well, so so they had uh, just normal boosters, right? And then they did set boosters and draft boosters, and now they basically just have set boosters. What what would you like to see happen? Like, um, it, it, do you think that this is like the end state of of the system? Like, do you foresee this changing again? If it do, if it did change, how would you want it to change? I, I would imagine that, like, for example, keeping the skews. Uh, to as small of a number as possible is probably best for you, but yeah, I, I I don't see them changing collector packs or play boosters. I think those the names of them are very like clear on who they're for and what they're for. Like collector packs are for collecting, play packs are for playing. So I, I don't I don't think changing that up in any kind of meaningful way is is going to change anything. Um, I think it's it's really hard to say because like. We kind of, I just pretty much go with the flow person and like, we have play packs, we're going to play with them. Yeah. And, um, anything, that, I mean, the only changes I want to see are like at a, um, at like a, pro, not a process, but like, you know, I want to see them, you know, find ways to bring standard packs. I think a healthy standard means that packs are more valuable. Agreed. Standard packs. Agreed. So like, like I said, we're going to try to run quarterly one case to really make standard be something around here. Cause I think, if Wizards going to put all this, these resources into trying to make standard be a thing, then I should probably, you know, be trying as well. Especially, I mean, at the end of the day, a thousand dollars a quarter is not going to really, should not really make or break me. I think as far as like keeping the store open or not. So I, I think it's it's worth a gamble for me to like try to get this going, and like Wizards is is making the Ixlon Store Championship be the only format you can sanction for it is standard, like. We're going because like if you give people player stores options, they're not going to pick standard, and then it's going to do the complete opposite of what right. Wizards is trying to do. 
And I, I think that making it standard is very smart. It's like, you need to have standard events firing off for people to find the investment into standard to be worth it and their cards be worth it. I mean, we have an RCQ season coming up that's going to be standard. I mean, people need to just give people excuses to play the cards and I think they'll, they'll come to standard, especially with a three-year rotation now. So I got a question for you Ooh, of, okay. of my own. Out of nowhere. Um, with a set like Wilds of Eldraine, obviously there's like bonus sheet stuff with like a little bit of extra value, but certainly for the first few weeks of the set being out, it was basically like Agatha's Soul Cauldron was like the money card in the set. And then, you know, like Beseech and Moonshaker Calvary, I guess, were up there a little bit. But I think everything else was under $10. And looking at the prices now, it looks like that is uh, stabilized a little bit. Now there are five cards over $10. How, like, to me, that that speaks to standard not controlling the price of things on the secondary market, right? Right. I mean, Great Henge was $60, $70 at one point, and it was seeing like one of playing standard, but every commander deck wanted it. Right. So how how is this sort of breakdown of how the value is distributed in sets affected your business? Uh, have, definitely having a lot of like bulky rares is not very good for cracking product and having stuff available because it's going to be the packs are just not worth it per se just from a straight like oh this is the value type of situation uh while the drains i think is a little different situation because it has like up the beanstalk as like a four dollar uncommon which i which is that's a lot for uncommon these days but the fact that people are opening up set boosters that sometimes have fewer uncommons in them means there's fewer up the beanstalks getting out there so like that's kind of like a, a reason why that's up there but like having cards that are not expensive to pull in packs is not not exciting for players players want to be able to open a pack and be like oh wow i found this 40 dollar card in my pack they're not going to excited about getting this five dollar card in their six dollar pack right yeah I, I think... you, still, you still have to make it affordable but like i think i think having the core of decks be commons and uncommons and where you just need those last few rares and having the rares be more expensive i think is a reasonable way to shape a format so if you found yourself like opening less product maybe for selling of singles than you would normally because of this, or has this not really changed anything? It hasn't really changed anything. We still want to, we, we open the singles for one, one to want to have the inventory in two. It's a reason to let people know that we have it so they can come to say, well, I can go to this one store that doesn't have everything. But if I go to the vault, I know that they will have, uh, all the things I need because we will have them opened in there for people. So it's kind of like a uh, same reason we have a giant wall of like booster packs going back to Return of Radica. We want people to come in and say, hey, we got them all. So there is value to have that above and beyond just like the value of the cards for us. Yeah, that has been the opposite of my experience going into random LGSs to play RCQs and stuff where it's like you never know what their inventory is going to look like if, if they're going to have like you know, the random card I decide to put in my deck or not. And back in the day, it, it wasn't like that. I, I feel like most stores operated like how you do, but it's just like not really feasible now to just have this massive inventory when uh, there's like a bunch of stuff that people don't want, basically. Yeah, I mean, our we're I'm currently going through Excel files from our, we have a robot sorter and getting them ready to upload into our website. So then people can like just shop on the website and, and fill what they need. Uh, in the area and everything. And we're just trying to keep 12 of everything in stock. And then hopefully that's enough to get a bunch of decks going and kind of get the ecosystem up and running again for standard. Awesome. I mean, you can stop by on the way to SCG Pittsburgh if you want. Uh, that that could be possible because Joe is driving me. So And and Eternal Weekend because I'm going to convince you to come for that too. Um, I'm trying. It's... It, the only thing about that is that it's a lot of travel in like a short amount of time, but I'm interested. All right. I'll be in touch. I got you. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, no. I mean, like I said, I've, I've owned the store for four years and like definitely I opened some things that I uh, didn't know or thought I knew and I was wrong on. So like I can easily see how people out in the echo chamber of social media just get these ideas that aren't necessarily true because they either hear it from their store owners who are like probably like 
you know, exaggerating the story a little bit um, or just like did something wrong. They don't know it's they're kind of making it up. So, and it's not stuff that kind of gets out there. And it's just one of those things where like, I wish people had more sources for information that wasn't, you know, so I guess biased towards one thing or another. No, same. Me too. It's, it's weird because I, I feel like some of this is information that it is better kept guarded to some degree, but just in the interest of making people say less stupid shit on the internet, I just want all information to be free, you know? Oh, this information is like, this is like the costs and stuff and distros and stuff. All that stuff is so far out there. It's just that people just don't know where to look or who to ask. I mean, like, I'll say right now, if you guys, you guys can find me on Twitter or whatever. And if you guys have any questions, feel free just to shoot me some questions or in your discord too. I'll be, I'm in the arena discord. I'll answer questions. People have questions about their stores and stuff or anything. Uh, I probably should have done this at the top of the show, but uh, feel free to like plug your Twitter and your store and stuff too. Cool. Uh, so for those who don't know me, my name is Stu Summers. Um, my Twitter handle is at S-S-O-M-E-R-S-5-5. Uh, I think my name is currently the coach on there. Uh, shout out to Chris Bakula for that one. <laughs> and then um, store, uh, it's called The Vault. It's in Greensburg, PA. Uh, the website is vaultgamestore.com. Uh, currently, we're doing Ixalan pre-orders on there, so we will ship any of our sealed stuff. So if anybody's interested in that stuff, go for it. If you guys have questions, please shoot me a message. I would love to help you guys out and, you know, teach you guys something about store owning, if you're thinking about it, or if you guys want to like have questions about like anything on you know, card valuation, just give me a shout. Cool, man. Well, thank you for hopping on and educating us all. I certainly appreciate it. And Hey, hey anytime you want me, anytime you have some questions on like, the finance desk, the corporate stuff, just give me a holler. I'm glad to pop back on and say hi. So the sky is not falling is, is what I'm <laughs> what I'm picking up. No, no, the sky magic has survived Chronicles and Oil's impacts and mirrored and block and whatever else. I think they'll be okay with with this. Yo, mirrored and block was the best shit ever. Dude, I, I, miss, I miss me some Mark Bound Ravager of Disciple of the Vault. <laughs> uh, good days. All right, that's game. Good luck. <laughs>